Hallelujah. What a wonderful presence in worship this morning. I just want you to continually uh, be praying for Lane Reasons, as you don't, maybe many of you do not know. Lane has had a tri- uh, his kidney transplant. He's doing well. He's uh, in his room, and we're praying for the kidney to begin to function and to work properly. So keep him in prayer. We also want you to, we just got a word just a moment ago. Pray for Jay McGarity, Aaron McGarity, and also Betty Porter, their daughter, I mean their sister, excuse me, their sister uh, Gladys has passed away. They just found out not too long ago, so be praying for them. How many is glad to be in the house of the Lord? All right, I'm glad you're here as well. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15, verse 16. You can remain seated this morning for the reading of the word. Usually we stand, but you've been standing a long time this morning. Hebrews 10, verse 15 and 16 says, Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. I'm going to declare the word of the Lord here today of what God has placed up in my heart. But before I do, uh, Chuck, would you stand please and ask the Lord's blessing on the word. Amen and amen. There's a holy hush right here right now. The Holy Spirit's among us today. I'm here to tell you the Holy Spirit is among you today and with you and in you. Hallelujah. I just feel the presence. Let me just just take a moment here. I feel the presence of the Lord. I don't want to get ahead of the presence of the Lord. Would you just kind of reverence him right now for a moment? Just reverence the Holy Spirit. Father, we reverence you, Lord. You're holy. You're holy in this house. And Lord, your presence among us here today. I pray that every heart and every mind, Father, come under submission to you right now in the name of Jesus. I pray that our hearts would be in tune and our minds would be open to what you're saying and what you're wanting to do. Oh, Father, have your will and way in this place. In the name of Jesus, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we praise you, Lord. We magnify you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, mighty God. We praise you, mighty God. I just feel like that the Holy Spirit and God's presence needs to, be, needs to be honored here a moment. Just love him. Just love on the presence of God. Let him love on you for a moment. Father, we praise you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We just wrap our arms around you this morning, God. Wrap your arms around us now, Father. Courage your people. Lord, come again like a flood upon your people right now. Take away worry and fear and concern, God. Take away the fretting, the depression, the anxiety that's being built because due to circumstances of our country and our land. Lord, come in now, Father. Write your laws and your will upon our hearts in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Have your way in the house, Lord. Have your way in the house, Lord. 
Hallelujah, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit. If anybody's got the interpretation, let them speak now or hold their peace. Truly, he's here to let us recognize that he is with us, that he is among us, that he is for us in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Let me read the text one more time and we'll see if the Lord allow me to preach here today. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness for after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and their minds, I will write them. And their sins and their iniquities I will remember no more. You know, during the time of Jesus, the Feast of Pentecost was a major holy day. The celebration of Pentecost, as we know it, was 50 days after what we call the Passover. And we know what the Passover is. It began when it began or was introduced to us when the children of Israel was delivered from Egypt by the killing of the firstborn Egyptian son. The Passover lamb was the sacrificial lamb that shed its blood for the purpose of placing it over the doorpost of the Israelites in order for the Israelites' firstborn son to be saved. If God seen that blood upon that doorpost, it was there that he would pass over the firstborn son of the Israelites and they would be freed from death. Whosoever had the lamb's blood placed upon the doorpost, they were free from the wrath and the plague of God that was coming upon the land of Egypt, which means world. And even though this was a type and a shadow of better things to come because we all know that Jesus became our Passover lamb. Several thousands years later, Jesus would die the very same day that that Passover lamb was slain on, in Egypt for Israel's deliverance. Even so, Jesus was slain for your and I deliverance. This is why the Bible tells us in Romans 6 and 23, the wages of sin is death but there is a gift of God, and through that gift of God, there's eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The writer of Hebrews made it clear in Hebrews 9 and 22 that without the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ, there's no remission of sin. There would be no deliverance. There would be no redemption. There would be no salvation if Christ had not been shed his blood upon Calvary and became that Lamb of God for us. Thank God for his unspeakable gift here today. Can you say amen? It is a gift. Give God praise for the gift of eternal salvation. Thank God for sending his son the gift that he gave to us here today. That's why that Paul tells all of us and reminds us we who sometimes were way off, far off from God, alienated from God, yet through Christ's blood we have been drawn near to the presence of God. Because of the wonderful shed blood of the Passover lamb God, through Jesus Christ, we are free from the wrath of God. This is why that John the Baptist said in John chapter, Matthew chapter one, verse twenty nine and verse thirty six. The next day, John seeth coming and see John seen Jesus coming unto him, and he said, "Behold, the Lamb of God, which will take away the sins of the world." Again, in verse thirty six, it says, "And looking upon Jesus as he walked, John declared again, Behold, there he is. That's the Lamb of God." 
John the Revelator referred to Jesus Christ as that lamb. He's saying, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. You can find that in Revelations 5 and 12. It was here that he received honor and glory and blessings because we are free, free, free from the wrath through what Jesus Christ done upon Calvary by shedding his blood. Thank God for the Lamb of God here today. That's something that we all need. Just give him another praise. I think it's okay. But this whole chapter of Hebrews chapter 10 is dealing with the law and how it's a type and a shadow of better or the new covenant that is to come. The new covenant was actually Christ coming to fulfill that law. Matthew 5 and 17, it was Jesus that said, Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy them, but to fulfill them. If it was not for the law, we would have no knowledge of our sin. The law is our schoolmaster. The law cannot save us, but in return, you and I really cannot be saved without the law because it's the law that reveals to us our our, our sin and the need to be saved. That's why that Paul made it clear in the book of Romans 4.14 that the law worketh wrath. For where there is no law though, there is no transgression. All the law could do was point out your failure. It couldn't save you. All the law could do was condemn you for your wrongdoings. But nevertheless, you would never know that you were doing wrong if it wasn't for the law of God. Jesus did not come to destroy that law like many people think or take the effects of the law away from us, but he came to save us from that law that condemns us. Christ came to finish and fulfill what the law could not do. That's why that Romans 8 and 3 says, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent in his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Notice he did not condemn law, he condemned sin, the sin that was held over us. As you look into the types and the shadows of the law and the feast days and the Jewish symbols and the Jewish celebrations, interesting enough, you're going to find out something. The day after Passover is known as what they call the first fruits. This is a day that Israel left Egypt with the Egyptian spoils. How many knows that when Israel left Egypt, they got paid for all of their slavery that they had done. They spoiled the land. They took gold. They took silver. They took jewels. I want to tell you, there's a payday a coming for you of what the devil has stowed from you. I'm here to tell you that God has got a first fruit blessing waiting for some people here today. Are you ready for that? Now, folks, I'm about to preach to you here today because I want to tell you that right now the devil's got the church. It seems like he feels like he's got the church backed up in a corner and the church is bound and the church is fearful and the church is scattered and the church is ununified and the church is this and the church is that. But I got news for the devil. What you meant for bad, God will turn this around to our good. And there's a payday coming and you're going to pay with interest and everything that's been stolen from us will be heaped upon our shoulders in blessing. If you believe that, stand to your feet and give God praise for that. My, my, my. That's a word of the Lord for this congregation. Get ready for blessing. Look at somebody say, get ready for blessing. Hallelujah. Some of you have been quarantined that you've lost pay from your jobs and you've been shut up and you've been bound up and then as soon as you get out you get quarantined again and you're losing jobs again and there's no unemployment for you but I've got news there's a heavenly account it's called the first fruit of God's blessing and it's about to be poured out upon the church hallelujah but the day that Israel left Egypt with the Egyptian spoil was the day of first fruits. Israel had not established an ordinance at this time of first fruits yet, but it was an example or a symbol that would become an ordinance for them to follow in scripture due to the importance of the significance of that origin and that beginning. 
in the ordinance, the first fruits after it was established by law. Uh, under the ordinance, the first fruit represents the beginning of what we call the grain harvest. On the day of first fruits, a sheaf of barley was weighed before the Lord that day. Matter of fact, you can look in Leviticus chapter 23, verse 10 and 11, and it says, speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, when you come into the land which I give you, and ye shall reap the harvest thereof, then shall you bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest unto the Lord. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you on the morrow after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Now, if you, well, there's a lot of preaching there, and we don't have time to dissect every one of the different points of, of sermons that I could preach out of there. But as the priest would give a wave offering of the sheaf of barley unto the Lord, it was saying to the God, this is what the people were saying to God, we give you our first fruits of the harvest. We recognize that there would be no harvest without you. We recognize that you have brought us to a good land. We recognize, God, that the harvest that we are partaking of is because you've given us the ability and you've given us the, the bountiful blessing of it. And they would take the first fruits of it, a sheaf of it, and the priest would wave it before the Lord. That's like every time that we come in, we also give of our first fruits called tithing. It is us saying we trust that the harvest that we've hasted financially has got a part of you, uh, it, uh, this tithe is a part of that. Recognize that you're the blessing of it all. How many knows that the, your harvest is not your harvest, it's the Lord's harvest that's been given to you? Can you say amen? Everything you have is what God has allowed you to have. Amen? Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from him and him alone. But we give the we give you, he said, this is what we do when we give our tithing. It's we've given our best to the Lord, our tithe. Then as God accepts that tithe, it's then that God is saying to the people, there's more to come. In other words, first fruit was the promise that if, if it's first fruits, that means that there is fruits to follow. There is more to come. What you have tasted in your past cannot compare to about what you're fixing to face in your future. What you have experienced in your lifetime cannot compare to what you're about to experience for the rest of your life. Some of your old people, I want you to know, your life is not out. Your life is not done. You are not washed up. You are not finished. I'm here to tell you that you, the best days of your life shall be the best days of your life. Can I have an amen for that? Quit sitting around and saying it's over. It's not over. It's just begun. There are more fruits to come. Can I have an amen? Some of you are not getting in this sermon here today. Help me here this morning. There was more blessing to follow after the offering of first fruits. However, Jesus was our first fruits whom God raised from the dead. We know that according to scripture. Jesus was our first fruits of the new covenant. As a matter of fact, as Christ died on Passover day and was lifted high on the cross to be our sin offering unto the Lord, and then on the third day, he was risen from the dead to be our first fruits of our resurrection. That's what the Bible causes it. It causes him to be in the first fruits of the resurrection. When he was raised the third day after the Sabbath, just like the priest did the wave offering of barley. When did it happen? The first day after the Sabbath, he would take the sheaf of barley and he would wave before the Lord as a wave offering unto God. Even so, Jesus, on the third day after the Sabbath, on Sunday morning, he came out of the grave, he was resurrected, and he was the wave offering before God on our behalf. Oh, hallelujah. Can I have an Amen. Even as our tithe redeems the whole of all of our finances, it sanctifies the rest of our money. Even so, Christ, our wave offering, redeems and sanctifies us because if Christ has not been risen from the dead, we're yet dead in our sins. Thank God for the unspeakable gift and the work of Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, who has become our first fruit blessing. Can I have an amen? But when, we, when he was offered up, then this is saying there's more to come. There's a first fruit. This is where Pentecost comes in. 
Can I tell you, you think Calvary's important, Pentecost is coming. It's, and that meant there's more to come. That's why that Jesus said in John 16 and 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient that I go away, necessary that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter will not come. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Jesus was proclaiming, I am just the first fruit. How many thinks that everything hinges on Jesus Christ? Of course it does. But how many knows what Jesus is saying? Hey, I am just the blessing of first fruits. But if you think I've been good, wait till I depart. I'm going to send something that's just like me back called the paraclete, the Holy Ghost, who's not only come and coming along beside you, but he's coming that he may dwell in you. Hallelujah. He said, there's more of me coming. He said, I can only be here and I can only be there in a physical sense, but I'm going to depart. And when I depart, I'm going to send the paraclete, the Holy Ghost, one along, one along to come side of you to help you, one that is of the same sort as I am. And if you think you've tasted me good in the flesh, you ain't seen nothing yet because when I come back, I'm coming back in the form of the Holy Spirit who's omnipresent, who's everywhere at the, every time, who's all-powerful, who's all-knowing. He is God, and that is the second blessing. That is the more fruit that is to come. Can I have an amen? During the time between the resurrection and Pentecost, we know for 40 days Jesus instructed his disciples in the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. You can read that in Acts chapter 1 verse 1 through 11. And after Jesus spent 40 days with them, here he is resurrected, spending 40 days with them, then he ascends. Then 10 days before Pentecost, Jesus ascended to the heavens, and after that, 120, before he left, he breathed upon them and said, and do, and go to Jerusalem and, be, and you tarry there until you're endued with power from on high. He breathed upon them and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit. He told them in John chapter 1, wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, which saith that John truly baptized with water and repentance, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from hence. So we see that 40 days Jesus spent with them. He ascended, the disciples and 120 went to the upper room and they tarried there for 10 days. And after the 10 days, Pentecost happened. And isn't it odd that that's 50 days after the Passover? Exactly 50 days after the Passover, Pentecost was fully come. Look what happened, Acts 2, 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, suddenly there came a sound from a rushing, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them clothing tongues as a fire, and it set upon each of them, all of them, all 120 of them, and they all began to speak with other tongues and be filled with the Holy Ghost as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. Isn't it significant that the outpouring happened on Pentecost. Pentecost originally represented the giving of the law, which was written by, on stone by the finger of God on Mount Sinai, and then he gave it to Moses. This happened 50 days after Egypt's first, first Passover in Egypt, and I butchered that. Let me say it again. When they got to Mount Sinai, it was exactly 50 days after their first Passover in Egypt. The time began for Israel, and the Jewish calendar started when Israel was delivered at that first Passover morning. The Bible tells us in Exodus 20 and 2, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. The day that Israel was delivered from Egypt by, by the Passover's blood, it marked the first day of their calendar year for them. It was their new beginning as a people. It was their new beginning as a nation. It was their fresh start. It was their new identity. Even so, you're and I beginning as Christians, it started at our Passover when Jesus shed his blood upon Calvary. Can I tell you, due to the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ, we too have a new beginning, a fresh start, and a new identity. We are no longer strangers. We are no longer alienated from God. We're no longer enemies of the cross. We have been born again. We've been adopted into the family of God. We are heirs of God. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And in 2 Corinthians, 
Corinthians 5 and 17 tells us, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. Our new beginning is a result of what our Passover lamb done for us through his sacrifice. We are forgiven. Our slate has been wiped clean. We have been washed whiter than snow, and we are now holy, and we are cleansed, and we are saved, and we can live. Can you give praise for the salvation of Jesus Christ? Amen. But look what Exodus 19 and 1 says. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same came they into the wilderness of Sinai. Now the Passover, which represented the first day of the first month of Israel, and it was the day they started out their new journey, yet on the third month, they came to Mount Sinai. When you figure it up in the times, it was actually 50 days later representing a future Pentecost that would come, which was 50 days after its Passover as well. We must understand what all this represents and remember Sinai was the place of the law that was given to Moses. Matter of fact, you remember what happened. Moses goes up on top of the mountain and he gets there and God writes the 10 commandments on stone with his finger hews it out of a stone and hands it to Moses and Moses comes back down off the mount with those 10 commandments. Look at our text again in Hebrews 10, verse 15 through 17. I'm gonna put all this together. Wherefore the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us for after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put the laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. The first thing that he says in verse 15 is, wherefore, the Holy Ghost also was a witness to us for what he had said before. Who said? He's talking about what God had said, what Christ has said. The Holy Spirit bears witness to the things that Jesus Christ has said and decreed and declared. The Holy Spirit will never tell you anything that's contradictive to what Jesus said, what the Word says, or what God has said. The Holy Spirit bears witness to truth, and Jesus Christ is that truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh to the Father except by him, according to John 14 and 6. In John 16, 13, and 14, Jesus did not only say that the Holy Spirit would guide us into all truth, but he said that he would bear witness of Jesus, and he would testify of Jesus, and he would only reveal or speak what Jesus spoke, and he would show us things to come. So we got a promise from Jesus that when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to show us things, he's going to reveal us things that Jesus has already said, he's going to testify about what Christ has decreed and out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything shall be established, so when the Holy Spirit speaks what Jesus Spirit and say, when the Holy Spirit speaks what Jesus speaks, and then you believe it, out of the mouth of two it's established and it's done can I have an Amen so whose report are you going to believe here today? God's spirit will even bear witness with our spirit that we're the sons of God, that we belong to God. Do you believe it? Then believe it. Amen? The, right, the witness he's talking about in our text is tied, that this Holy Spirit's going to be witness, is tied to the new covenant. Now watch. Look what verse 16 says in our text. This is what's going to happen in the new covenant. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put their laws, my laws, into their hearts, and their minds will I write them. This happened at Sinai and not at Passover. Calvary's a wonderful experience, but there's a better experience coming. The same symbols that happened in the Old Testament from the first Passover to Sinai has happened and come again through the symbol at Pentecost from Calvary. And I want to tell you, there is a work that happens at Pentecost that we automatically think it happens at Calvary, and it does not. Calvary is our first fruits. It's our new beginning. But it isn't until Pentecost that we have God's word written in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Are you with me? At Calvary, we are birthed into the kingdom of God, but at Pentecost, the kingdom of God is birthed in us. Somebody get a hold of that real fast. 
When we are baptized with the Holy Ghost, the finger of God writes God's laws and commandments in our heart. The word of God is burned, it's branded, it's etched by fire in the spirit when we get baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's why that John the Baptist said, I indeed baptize you with water, but he that cometh after I who's mightier than I, whose shoes I'm not even worthy to latch, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Can I have an amen? There is a fiery experience that happens among Pentecost that does not happen in any other time. It's when the baptism of the Spirit falls upon a congregation, whether for the first time or the fifth time or the hundredth time, where there's a blaze of fire that sanctifies the congregation and brings them into, brings them into unity to the will of God to where God can perform his greatest works because we believe upon that which he has spoken and declared and decreed by the witness of the Holy Spirit. Amen. First fruit says there's more to come. Pentecost was the more. The kingdom of God did not come until Pentecost. Everything that people experienced up to that point was first fruits. John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ. Listen to what he said. He was the, Mark 1 and 3, he was the voice of one crying in the winters, prepare you the way of the Lord, make his path straight. It was John that also declared, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And everybody that reads that thinks that the kingdom of God came when Christ came. That's what they think. And they think that John, the forerunner of Jesus, was saying, when Jesus gets here, the kingdom of God has come upon the earth. At the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near. He didn't say it was there, and there he stood. The kingdom of God did not come at Jesus' birth, nor did it begin at his public ministry as most preach. The kingdom of God was close, it was near, but the kingdom of God had not fully come. It was at hand. They stared it in the face because Christ was the king of that kingdom. But when Jesus sent his apostles out to do miracles and preach the gospel, listen to what it says in the book of Mark chapter 10, verse 7, I think it is. And as you go, preach saying the kingdom of God is at hand. It still had not come yet when Jesus sent out his seventy. Again, he tells us in Mark 9 and 1, and he said to them, Verily I say to you that there be some of you stand here which shall not taste death till they have seen the kingdom of God come in power. There are three things I want to point out on this. Do a little teaching here for a minute. Three things in these scriptures we got to see. Number one, Jesus made it clear that they had not seen the kingdom of God as of yet, though it was near the shores of it. They were staring the king of that kingdom in the face. Number two, Jesus also made it clear that they would see the kingdom of God come in their lifetime. There are those of you that are standing here that you shall not see death, he said, until you see the kingdom of God come in power. It would not be at the thousand-year millennial kingdom that he was talking about that's not even happened yet that will be a physical kingdom come down and a spiritual kingdom, but in their lifetime, he told them that they personally would see and witness God's spiritual kingdom come to the earth. Number three, Jesus also made it clear that the kingdom would come in power. It was the apostle Paul that said in 1 Corinthians 4, 29, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but it's in power. Romans 14, 17 says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in what? The Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God was ushered in by Pentecost through the person of the Holy Ghost. The kingdom came on the day of Pentecost. He was the witness the Holy Spirit was. He was the one that testified of the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. Just as the priests wore bells on their garment at the day of atonement as a symbol of acceptance of the sacrifice, even so the Holy Spirit is the witness of Jesus' atonement as well. For example, when the priest would go into the holies of holies, I preached on this before, I won't spend a lot of time here. They had bells that was sewed into the bottom of their garments because only the high priest could go back and make of atonement, put the blood upon the mercy seat, upon the top of the Ark of the Covenant. And when that priest would go in, if he was not flawless, 
And if he had not went through his ceremonial cleansings perfectly and correctly, he was struck dead for coming in the presence of God unprepared. And he was the only one that could offer, a high priest was the only one that could offer the sacrifice. So Israel would sit outside of the camp and listen. And as long as he was moving and those bells was ringing, they knew that their redemption was going to be accepted. But if those bells stopped, fear came upon that camp because there was no one there in there to be a high priest for them to offer the blood upon the mercy seat of Christ, of the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. And when that man died in there, they had a rope tied around him and they would pull that high priest out and they would have to get a different high priest to go through the ceremonial cleansings and go in there and offer the blood on behalf of the people. And let me tell you something, that was a witness. Every time them bells would ring, it was a sound. That that Passover lamb was accepted by God. Even so, this is why that Jesus said in John 16 and 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it's expedient or necessary that I go away. For if I go not away, the comforter, the Holy Ghost, will not come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. When the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost with a sound as a rushing mighty wind, it was testifying that Jesus made it and his atonement was accepted. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit bared witness of the Passover lamb, Jesus Christ. Every time you hear someone speak in tongues, every time you see a miracle on display, every time you see a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in any fashion, form, or way, it is a witness of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Our Passover lamb has made it. Our redemption is intact that we are truly saved because Jesus did arrive to the Father and the witness is he said he had sent the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came so that is a testimony that Jesus made it to heaven and presented his blood at the mercy seat of God. Amen. Oh, this is why Jesus said greater works than these shall you do because I go to my father. Jesus said that the kingdom of God would come in power and it did at Pentecost. Acts 1 and 8, but you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. You remember, oh, unstable Peter, Failing Peter, fearful Peter, timid people before Pentecost. Hey, he was with Jesus. Jesus stood right by his side, and right by Jesus' side, he denied him. Come on, somebody. But do you remember the change that took place in Peter's life after Pentecost? Pentecost will make a change in your life, folks. It was Peter that stood up to the very ones that he denied Christ to, the very ones that he intimidated, the very ones that he rejected Christ in front of us, the very ones he preached a sermon, and over 3,000 of them were saved after Pentecost. Folks, there's a difference in you being birthed in the kingdom and the kingdom of God being birthed to you at Pentecost. There's a difference between your Calvary experience and your Pentecostal experience. Can I have an amen? There's a difference in having Jesus, the first fruits of your life, where you have a new start and a new beginning and where you're washed clean than there is for you being endued with power from on high by the Holy Spirit through the Holy Ghost baptism. Look at Israel in the wilderness. While they were in the wilderness, they had just left their Passover. It was after leaving their Passover that they began to murmur, they began to complain, they even wanted to go back to Egypt. Folks, they had experienced the Passover. That's like you and I experiencing our Calvary, our salvation. Many get saved and thank God for salvation. It's the most important thing that will ever happen in your life. But many do not stay saved because they never go on to have the kingdom of God birthed in their hearts. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the law, he revealed Israel's sin to them. And what did he do? He purified them with fire because he had come off of the Mount of the Law. The golden calf was erected. When he come down, they were worshiping it. They were having all kinds of sexual sins, all kinds of different kinds. They were worshiping an idol God. He got a fire and burned it and melted that gold and made them drink of that gold. Many of them were killed, and he sanctified Israel's camp. Fear fell upon the camp, and God brought sanctification to that whole camp. Can I tell you, the baptism of the Holy Ghost takes the heart of stone, it melts it in the fire of God, and it causes our heart to become flesh, and then he writes the law of God upon our hearts. Watch this, 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3. Ye are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read of all men. For as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, 
written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone, but in fleshly tables of your heart. Did you hear that? No longer is God going to write his commandments on stone and give them to you because you can't live them by just reading them. The law cannot save you. The law is just there to reveal to you, I'm, a, I'm condemned, I've sinned, I'm no good. That's what the law does. Brings condemnation. And no longer does God want you to live outside of the perimeters where you're just staring at a bunch of do's and don'ts and regulations. Though you're free in Christ, yet when you look at those laws, those laws outside of the enablement and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit cannot be lived. Amen? And Christians are standing back with all this condemnation, all of this guilt, all of this failure all the time because they're looking at the church as a regulation of nothing but a bunch of do's and don'ts. So what happens a lot of times, they'll go find a church that does not have any rules or regulations because they've done away with the law and say God is not a God of law, God's a God of grace. But the problem of it is Jesus didn't come to destroy that law. He came to fulfill it. How is he going to fulfill it? He's going to, he's going to conquer it. How is he going to conquer it? By you getting saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, being washed from your sins, making a confession that he is Lord, and then when you do, you're a candidate for God to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire who comes down and does not write the law on stone with his finger and he does not write it with ink on a piece of paper, but he takes his finger through the experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and he writes God's law in your heart. Now the law no more has power over you, but you got power to live out the law. If there's ever a time that we need birthed and branded in our hearts and lives the laws of God, the statutes of God, the commandments of God, it's now. The man that's baptizing the Holy Spirit is more than a guy that just speaks in tongues or dances or has spiritual experiences. He's a man that is a written, that is a written epistle who lives out and testifies of truth because he is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's temple and his message only preaches and testifies and witnesses of the things that pertain to the truth of Jesus Christ. So we, the temple of the Holy Spirit, we walk out truth, we live out truth, we speak truth, we declare truth, we preach truth, we love truth, we do not run from it, we do not shelter or hide from it, but we accept the fact that we've been enabled by the Holy Spirit to live out the wills of God for our life. Amen. Uh, on Mount Sinai, what did you see? It was a fearful thing. The children of Israel, as they was worshiping the idol of God, they got afraid. Moses had been up there so long that they thought he wasn't going to come back due to the lack of leadership and good leadership. Oh, man, I got too much. Where do I go from here? They begin to erect a golden calf, do their own thing until all of a sudden dark clouds started moving over top of Mount Sinai. And all of a sudden, whoosh, lightning began to boom. And the place became a fire. God began to put so much fire on top of the mountain that the Bible says the whole top of the mountain became as a fire. To this day, I've not been there, but they say you go there and it's been scorched. And nothing grows there. And you can find black rocks that's been scorched by fire to this very day. And yet Moses is right up in the middle of that stuff. Hid in the cleft of the rock. <laughs> Jesus Christ, he was hid in truth. He was hid in the Passover. All of a sudden, they not only seen 
the thunder, the black clouds, the fire, but the earthquake came. And the rocks began to rent. And the thing began to shake. On the day of Pentecost, what happened? Suddenly there came a great sound as a rushing man, and the place was shaken. Fire, they seen it set upon each and every one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. Now I'm going to close with saying this. Listen to what Ezekiel said. A new heart also I will give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. This is a prophetic word in the Old Testament to the New Testament to where under the new covenant this is what's going to happen. Listen to it. I will give you a new spirit being born again. I'll put that within you through Calvary, through the Passover. Then I will take and put within you a new heart. I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a new heart. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you'll keep my judgments and do them. He didn't say nothing about doing away with law. Some laws were fulfilled that you don't have to go into those ordinances and all of that kind of thing. We're going to get into all the teachings, the breakdowns of all of that. But I'm here to tell you, anybody that tells you that you're not to obey the Ten Commandments because that's under law, is they do not know the truth of God's Word. The law says if you commit adultery, you're not going to go to heaven. And let me tell you, if you ignore that law and you commit adultery, you're not going to go to heaven. I'm not saved by law. I'm saved by grace. No, but grace gives you the Passover experience to lead you to the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which will take that law and write it into your heart. And the very man that saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit, he will not want to commit adultery. He's changed. He's empowered. He's renewed. It's no longer us living for God. It's Christ living his life through us and in us by the sovereign power of his own will. Will you stand with me this morning? The Holy Spirit gave me directions on how to do the altar service. God's saying, I want to visit the church again with the baptism of the Holy Spirit and tell the people just because it's happened to them once, they can become indifferent and they need that experience over and over and over just like the children did or the disciples did in, in the book of Acts. They were baptized with the Spirit more than once, had many encounters with the Holy Spirit. And what I want you to do is these musicians come and start playing. I want you to get serious with God here today. I want you to lay hands on yourself. And I want you to start praying, God, first of all, let me get a fresh cleansing from Calvary. Let the Passover lamb wash me thoroughly. Jesus said, come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Get yourself cleansed. And then when you repent of everything that's in your life that's been wrong, say, now, Father, baptize me afresh and anew with the Holy Spirit. And from this day forward, God, I'm not going to be happy till I have an experience and an encounter to where, God, I have a fresh touch to where your hearts burn in my heart, to where the witness of your Passover, God, is so strong in my life that I can't do nothing but declare and decree the truths of Jesus Christ and the law that you have put within my heart. I will speak them. I will teach them. I will proclaim them. I will do everything I can to spread the good news of Jesus Christ that he's alive and well and under the witness of the Holy Spirit I will be a living epistle that will bring all men unto you. So right now, begin to pray over yourself. And, um, this, is a, this is an individual work right here today. No one has to lay hands on you. You don't have to have a great spiritual encounter. God just wants you to be obedient. Let the Holy Ghost break out upon you here this morning. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, burn on the hearts of your people right now. Burn on the hearts of your people right now. Let them understand the importance, God. Let there be repentance all over this building and then wash them thoroughly, God, and then baptize them afresh and anew in the Holy Ghost. Oh, God, please breathe upon us. Give us the Holy Spirit. 
We need a Pentecostal experience. We need, God, that more fruit that is to come. It's ours. It's our gift. Oh, don't let us settle, God, just for the Passover experience, but let us be a part of the kingdom of God and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Let us be Pentecostal in the name of Jesus right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God, help us right now. Fill us with the Holy Spirit, God. Now I want you to do me a favor. If you're sitting by somebody that you know well enough to do this, do not do it if you don't know them well enough. There are people social distancing. We want to honor that. But I want you to turn to your friend, your husband, your wife, your family member, whoever it may be, or maybe two or three of you, four of you in a row, lay hands on each other and start praying for the Pentecostal experience. Would you do that? Would you just lay hands on your brothers and your sisters? Now listen, if they, if they don't want it, don't, don't do it. But just lay hands on your brothers or your sisters. Say, God, fill them with the Holy Ghost. Fill them with the Holy Spirit. Lord, in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, we decree. We decree and declare your blessing over this congregation. It's the will of God to fill people with the Holy Ghost, so it's done. It's the more fruit that's to come, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. God, you want to pour it out on the congregation right now. Lord, let it happen. Let it happen. Let it happen in Jesus' name. Refresh us. Refresh us in the Holy Spirit. God, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Oh, we love you today, God. We love you today, God. In Jesus' name. Jesus Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I'm just giving time. Just pray a little longer. We're in no hurry here. Now, if you believe what I have preached, I want you to witness it to the Heavenly Father by giving Him praise in this house. Say, we believe it, God. This is a witness. We believe it. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Give us Pentecostal experience in Jesus' name. Give us Pentecostal experience in Jesus' name the Holy Ghost upon the congregation in Jesus name breathe fire upon us dance fire upon our heads purify us with the fire of God in Jesus name in Jesus name God bless you we love you come out tonight we're going to have a great service in the Lord in Jesus name you're dismissed